Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are continuing our series called Asking for a Friend. And if you have uh, been interested in sending questions in and you haven't so far, you still can. And uh, this week, I will plan to do uh, uh, some sort of social media connection where I get on and answer some questions and talk about some things uh, that, that we don't have time to get to here. But if you want to ask a question, you can simply text the word asking and the number four to the number 555 So simply text that, and then you can ask any question you'd like. So some of the questions have been really, really good. Some of them have been a little more mundane. One of them was actually mildly offensive to me. And the question uh, that was offensive to me was, what is Pastor Mel's favorite ice cream flavor? And that bothered me because I thought, either they don't pay attention or they might be new, and that's fine. But uh, just for the record, it's peanut butter Oreo swirl, and it's not even close. Uh, By the way, peanut butter Oreo swirl is available at Meadows on Tuesday coming up. Just throwing it out there. I will not be in town to be able to eat Meadows on Tuesday. So if you go there and eat peanut butter real swirl, do it on my behalf. So thank you for being a part of that as well. Um, so a lot of the questions we've gotten have been really good and really challenging. And uh, we had a number of questions related to um, the same. They were kind of broad, and they all related to the same kind of thing. So that's why we're going to jump into the series today. Before we do, though, I want to remind you, this series is all about redemption. The series is all about reconciliation. It's not about condemning. It's not about telling people how horrible they are. It's about helping people see that God's got a plan for them and a purpose for them. And so what we want to do is we never want to water down what the Word of God says. We never want to water down what Scripture has for us. Um, but at the same time, we want to do that with a high level of love. We see Jesus was full of grace and truth, according to John 1. We also see in Ephesians 4, verse 15, Paul says to the Ephesian church, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. So what he says is, we will remain strong and always sincere as we express truth. And I've said this before, I hope this gets in you. It's easy for us to express truth, it's easy for us to express love, but it's hard for us to do both of these at a high level. And that's the sweet spot that Christians need to live in, that we speak truth, but we always speak truth in love, with sincere love. And so that's what we're really trying to do in this series. So today, um, we want to answer some questions that are all kind of related, because I've gotten a bunch of questions about, um, is it wrong for two people to live together? Uh, before they're married, is it wrong for me to have sex with my boyfriend if we're really in love? Um, um, does pornog- what does the Bible really say about pornography? Is it really a sin? Does it really hurt anybody? And so there are a lot of questions that are kind of overlapping to some degree or another that I felt like um, we want to answer some of these. We want to address some of these. Because the truth is, the culture we live in today is a culture that is um, hypersexualized. And you might disagree with me, uh, but it is everywhere in the culture we live. And, uh, and what I want to communicate to you today, I want you to understand something. Um, sex is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Um, I've got a fireplace in my house, and I'm lazy, and so I have gas logs. So you flip the switch, and it comes on, right? You and it lights up instantly. So there's no shoveling the soot or the ashes or any of that kind of stuff. I don't have to kin- make, bring kindling in, anything like that. I'm lazy, but it's, it's better. I like it. So 
we'll turn the fire on. And it's amazing when you turn that fire on, it just, you just feel better. Like you flip it on, it's light lit, it's warmer, light, it's, you know, in the room. It, it just brings life, honestly. And so we can turn off the lights and, uh, you know, turn the fire on and kids are out of town. Hey, baby. You know, like we'll have one of those moments. Not really. I'm just saying. My wife's not in the room, so I can say whatever I want today. <laughs> but the point is that fire brings life. It brings light. It brings warmth. And it's nice. You enjoy it. Now, this is the thing. That is what it was made to do. And in that context, it is perfect. A fire in my fireplace is wonderful. A fire in my attic, not as wonderful. So sex is a beautiful thing in the right context. In the wrong context, just like a fire in my attic, it doesn't bring light and life and vibrancy. It actually brings destruction and death, loss, hurt, all those kind of things. And what we see is God created sex. It's for us. It's a good thing. Nobody agrees with that? Okay, good. I figured there'd be a few men in the room that'd be like, amen. Maybe we have other discussions we need to work through today. The sex is a good thing, and we don't talk about it in church because, well, respectable people don't have this conversation, and, well, the Bible talks about it, so why shouldn't we have a conversation about it? Uh, it's, it's something we can engage our culture in, but we fail to because we're afraid of the topic. So let me read a, a passage of Scripture to you. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul talks a lot to the Corinthian church in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians about sexual sin, and it's because it was rampant in, uh, in Corinth. But this is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would, need, uh, you would need to go out of the world. So what he's saying is this. He says, I wrote my previous letter, and now this is 1 Corinthians. There, there's a lost letter before 1 Corinthians we have no record of, but Paul's clearly indicating he wrote a previous letter. And so Paul is saying, in my last letter I told you, hey, don't associate with people that are sexually immoral. And what the Corinthian church did is say, that's right, we're not, because we're better than the world. And so Paul's correcting that here and going, no, 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 let me help you understand something. I'm not saying don't engage the culture of the world, don't talk to people in the world, because our job is to engage the culture of the world, to talk to people in the world, to help them see, to influence our world for the glory of God. So he says, no, 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 you still have conversations, you still engage people who um, are, are living according to these things, because that's how they live, they're in the world, is what he's saying. So, verse 11, he says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexually, uh, sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not to even eat with such as one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He says, it's not my judge, the job to judge outsiders. Is it not those inside the church whom, are to, whom we are to judge? Verse 13 says, God judges those outside, and then he quotes and says, purge the evil person from among you. So what he's saying is, number one, he's saying, the sin that we think is only in the world, he's saying, no, 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 it's in the church too. We don't like hearing that. But Paul says, hey, the sexual immorality you think is just in the world, he says, I got bad news for you, it's in the church. And he said, and when people live in the church, they call themselves brother. You call yourself a Christian, but, but we live in a way that is unrepentant toward the sin that we embrace. He said, you've got to call that out. He says, we don't judge outsiders. 
but we do judge the church. Have you ever heard somebody say, you don't judge me, judge not lest ye be judged. Have you discovered that every person in the world seems to know that verse, right? But, but what it means is don't judge people who aren't believers by the standard of the believer, because they're not believers, right? But if somebody calls themselves a brother and they're living in unrepentant sin, you call them out. You go, hey, here's, here's the problem. And you, what do you do? You speak truth in love. You say, hey, here's the direction you're going in, and it's a path that leads you to destruction. Let me help you, because I've got your best interest at heart. What I want you to understand today, and this is something I said a few weeks ago, and I hope you, I hope you get this in your heart, God is much less concerned with my sin than he is the effect of that sin in my life. So we, we typically think God hates me because I committed sin. He's mad at me now, and I didn't commit a sin, so now he likes me. And what I want you to understand is he always likes you. He always loves you. But when we live in sin, especially unrepentant sin, his heart breaks over us because we are his children, and he knows that there are consequences associated with sin. Now, a lot of times the consequences we think of are hell. We go, well, yeah, you'll go to hell. And that's bad. Can we all agree that's bad? Okay. Hell bad. Okay. I just want to make sure. But I didn't want to come in today and talk to you about a message where I basically just said, hell bad. And okay, we got it. We got it. Right? Because come on, that doesn't help us. So what I want to do is walk through um, why the consequences of sexual immorality for us in this life are worth laying down um, sexual behavior that is outside the bonds of marriage. That's really what I want to walk through with you today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So, so I want to point a couple things out to you. Uh, number one, when he says flee from sexual immorality, what he's saying is, um, well, let me start with sexual immorality. That phrase sexual immorality, it's, it's translated from the Greek word, and it's porneia, and porneia is where we get the word pornography. Okay, and porneia literally means any sexual contact outside the marriage covenant. So whatever it is outside of marriage, it is, it is sexually immoral, according to Scripture. So what this covers is, uh, according to the Bible, homosexuality, adultery, which is uh, sexual contact with somebody who I'm not married to, after I'm married, uh, adultery, uh, I'm sorry, fornication, which is sexual contact with somebody before I'm married. Um, this would include pornography um, because it's sexual contact with someone I'm not married to and not and married with. Um, and so basically anything you could think of, any sexual contact outside the marriage covenant is considered um, sexual immorality. So what Paul says is we flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say we stand up to it, we fight against it. He says, you run from it. Um, I got to confess something to you. I had a dream the other night uh, about the zombie apocalypse. I have been watching too many movies, apparently. And you know when you're in a dream and you can do whatever, you're the hero in your dream. Do you know what I dreamed? That I ran away from the zombies in my dream. Like it wasn't, I wasn't the guy with the chainsaw and the shotgun, like taking out zombies. No, I was the guy that was running away like a girl, like, ah! right? must escape from the zombies. And uh, again, you'd think I'd be the hero of my own dream, but I think I know, I'm, I know myself pretty well, and I'm, I'm not even going to try to fool myself. I'm like, nah, I'm going to run. It's okay. But this is the thing. In my dream, it was vivid. I was running. I was doing everything I could to escape. 
because I wanted to survive. And, and this is what Paul says. When it comes to sexual immorality, we don't stay around. We don't tempt it. We don't see if we can make it. We don't try to stand up against it. He says, you run away like your life depends on it. Like a terrified gazelle from a cheetah, you are running from sexual immorality is what he says. And too many times we flirt with it. We allow it on the periphery of our lives. It's no big deal. It couldn't hurt us. But what Paul says, you run away from it. This is why. He says every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So two exceptions, strictly speaking, that I would make from this. One would be gluttony which is a sin against our own body uh, because we eat and we eat and we eat and we eat and we have no self-control, which again, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So if we have no self-control, we're displaying something that's contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. That's a problem. Um, so gluttony and then drunkenness is the way Scripture would put it. Uh, we might call it alcoholism. Uh, somebody drinks without self-control and it harms their body. So this is what we see. Those two things harm your body. But this is where sexual sin uh, it is even more damaging than those two things. And those two things are bad. And honestly, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I've, I've been on my weight loss journey is because I re recognize the fact that um, me being as heavy as I was, uh, in my heart, felt like sin before God. So I felt like, you know what, I've got to lay that down. I've got to display self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, in this area of my life. Um, but those things are, are not great, but sexual immorality is even worse because what Paul says is we sin against our own body. And what he's really talking about is sexual immorality, what we see is um, God has wired us in such a way that our emotions and our soul are connected to sexual contact. And it, it, actually, um, it actually is a sin against our own soul. It actually causes damage to our very heart, to our identity, to our mind. And it impacts us in ways that other sin just doesn't impact us. It, it, Jesus, he had two interactions with, um, with women who were involved in sexual immorality. And I want to mention both of them to you today. One was in John chapter 4. And this is the woman at the well. And Jesus had stopped at this well with his disciples. It was near Samaria. They had gone into this town in order to, uh, in order to get provisions, get lunch. And while Jesus is waiting at the well, this woman comes out to him, a Samaritan woman. And she comes to draw water from this well, and he strikes up a conversation, and this is unique because she's a woman and Samaritan. Usually a Jewish man wouldn't talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, but he engages her in conversation, and they're talking about worship, they're talking about church, all these different things. And, um, and it's interesting, they get to this part of the story, and Jesus says to her, hey, he said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. <laughs> Jesus is hardcore, isn't he? I mean, he didn't hold back, he didn't sugarcoat it. But, so what does he do? He speaks truth. He says, hey, that's right. You don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're with now, my granny in southeastern Oklahoma used to say, shacked up. Uh, I don't know if they say that around here, but my granny would have said, you're shacked up with the old boy you're with right now. And Jesus says, isn't this right? She goes, yeah, it is. She, her response is, sir, you must be a prophet. I'm like, well, you got it, right? Absolutely. So he speaks truth to her, but he does it in such love and such mercy that she actually leaves there, goes back into town, gets everybody she knows to come out and hear Jesus. 
she's so moved by what he has to say that he speaks truth to her, but he does it in love. Now, this is the thing. He didn't just preach a message to her and go, hey, sexual sin will send you to hell. Hell bad. Don't do that anymore, right? Do you know what he did? He, he spoke to what her heart really wanted. Because, see, this is a woman who had gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. She had literally given herself to man after man after man after man after man. And it would be easy to look at her story and go, man, this woman was uh, scandalous, right? Because when I used to read this passage, I used to think, what, what a terrible lady this lady was. She'd been married five times, now she's shacked up with this guy. Can you believe this? This is what I want you to understand. When Scripture tells us she'd been divorced five times, divorce in this era is different than the divorce we think of today. Divorce in biblical times um, involved uh, the man the man could be divorced whenever he wanted. So a man could just tell a woman, basically notify her ver verbally, I'm divorcing you, and that was it. Uh, and because of law at that time, she couldn't be a property owner, uh, so she would probably be left, after the divorce, penniless. Probably left homeless. She might be able to be welcomed back into the home of her parents, uh, but even that was questionable because if she was divorced, it's hard for her to be married again. And this is a woman who'd been divorced five times. So you could look at this and go, man, what a horrible woman. Or you could look at this and realize this woman had probably been the victim of men who had objectified her and said, hey, I'm going to use you for my personal gratification, and then when I'm done, I'm getting rid of you. And so this is a woman who was probably deeply hurt. This is a woman who probably longed for intimacy, longed for closeness, but yet after all this time, she'd probably given up on it. Now I'm reading into this a little bit, but I, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe the reason she wasn't married to the man she was living with is because she might have thought, what's the point? He's just going to divorce me anyway? So Jesus speaks to her, and he, he doesn't say you're a sinner. Do you know you're going to hell if you don't stop this stuff? But he actually speaks to her, and they're talking about drawing water. And she said, how are you going to draw water from the well? You don't even have a pail. And he said, <laughs> this is Mel's paraphrased version. Basically, he says, lady, I got water that if you drink from it, you'll never thirst again. And she goes, I, I want that water. And what Jesus does is he speaks to the core of who she is. He, he doesn't tell her how bad she is. He says, I recognize in your searching, what you're really searching for is intimacy with a God you don't even know. You're looking for intimacy. You're looking for your, your fulfillment. You're looking for your affirmation from all these places. But what you really need is affirmation from your heavenly father. And in that moment, she goes and gets a village, brings him back, and there's revival. Because Jesus speaks to us about what we really want, what we really need. And, and this is what I want you to understand today as we walk through this together. Um, we can't stop our bodies from doing what they were made to do. Uh, what they were made to do is bond, by the way. We were made for deep relationship with people. We're made for friendship. We're made to walk through life together. But specifically, uh, when it comes to sex, we were made to bond and let me be more specific. We were made to bond with a person for life. Now, I'm going to set the Bible aside for a second. I just want to talk to you about science because science will affirm Scripture. What we see scientifically is that we were, in fact, created a bond. Our hormones do the bonding for us. Our hormones cause us to bond with uh, our, our sexual partners. And now let me be even more specific than this. <clears throat> 
even a person that you're not physically with, you can bond with. So if you're viewing pornography, your chemicals will tell you that you are bonding with the person on your screen. So some people will say things like, what's the big deal with porn? It doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody knows. And what Paul says is 100% true. We are hurting ourselves when it comes to pornography. So what happens is we bond with the source of our stimulation. We bond with that partner. Scientifically, we know that sex engages us hormonally, neurologically, and psychologically. So our hormones are engaged. Our mind is engaged psychologically. We find uh, affection. We find um, um, acceptance in that moment, even, again, if it's virtual. So all these things. But what we see is neurologically we're engaged as well. Our brain begins to fire differently than it does otherwise. What we see neurologically is people who are uh, addicted to, to pornography, if you look at their brain scans, they're identical to people who are addicted to meth. What happens is when you continue to engage in pornography, the pleasure center in your brain shrinks smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's harder and harder and harder to find pleasure in pornography. Just like with drugs, the first high is always the highest. And what happens is you're always chasing that high from then on. So you have to take more drugs in order to find that high, a high that's similar. And you chase it further and further and further. The same thing happens in your brain when it comes to, to sex, when it comes to pornography. So it's firing in all these different ways. It, it forms intense bonds mentally, emotionally, and physically, especially when we do it over and over again. So how does this happen? Well, any kind of sexual activity releases chemicals into our brain. So any kind. The first chemical that's released, and there's a ton. These are, they're, there are some main ones, though, and that's what we're going to talk about. The first one is dopamine. Dopamine is what creates a sense of tension and focus. Dopamine is the thing that says, that's important, go get that. Dopamine is, um, is what causes you to say, man, it's important for me to work out, I'm going to go work out. And then you're rewarded afterwards when you do work out. Dopamine is the thing that says, hey, on the 26th, the Meadows is having peanut butter Oreo swirl, and I'm going to be focused on it, right? And on Tuesday, we're going to go, we're going to get Meadows, and that, that's what does that. It gives us that focus. Um, in a sexual relationship, what it does is it gives us focus and tension. It tells us you want that. And then we pursue that. The next thing we see at work is oxytocin. Oxytocin is a chemical largely produced in women's bodies, and this is what allows a woman to bond with the most significant people in her life. So it's produced during sex, and it causes the woman to bond with her partner, but it's also produced uh, during pregnancy and after childbirth, during uh, nursing, so that the, the baby and the mother can bond together. So it's a chemical that responds in your body that tells you this is someone important that you need to be bonded to. And what happens when we do that for the women, it eases stress, it creates feelings of calm and closeness, and this leads to increased trust. It also causes her to want to nurture and protect the one that she's bonded to. There's a chemical similar to that that's produced in men. It's called vasopressin. And vasopressin, uh, it's called the commitment hormone or the monogamy molecule. It, it generates a desire for commitment and arouses loyalty. And this is what inspires uh, uh, the protective sense that a man has over one's mate. And it can also create jealous tendencies. And this is what I want you to understand, especially for our college students, young adults that are here. And it's not limited to young adults. But we live in a day and age today where it's so easy to find a hookup. You can get an app. You can swipe right. You can find that person you want and we can have a casual encounter. No big deal. We're just going to hook up. We're friends with benefits. There's no commitment. It's just physical. That's all it is. 
And again, I, I can pick on the college students if we want, but I got bad news for you. It's high school students too. I got even worse, some junior hires. It's 50 and 60 year olds. It's easy to be casual about this, but this is what happens. When we go, ah, it's no big deal, it's just physical. What happens is we have this moment where we have this physical interaction, this sexual intimacy, and our brains say it's no big deal, but what's going on in our bodies is uh, our bodies are producing these chemicals and we're bonding with the person that we're having this moment with. And, and then they don't understand why. Well, why are you getting so clingy? Why are you acting like this? Why are you trying to nurture me? Why are you trying to be, get all defensive? Why, why are you being jealous? And the reason is because we are hardwired that way. That is the way God made us to be. It's exactly what God designed. So after vasopressin and oxytocin are produced, the happy hormone comes, and that's endorphins. And endorphins, these are highly addictive, and they cause us to want the experience and the rush over and over and over again. This is, uh, this is what happens in our pleasure center, that, that we go, yes, this is what we're talking, this is what we want, right? It can be food, uh, it can be sex, it can be a business transaction, it can be lots of different things that can produce this, but it specifically is produced in sexual encounters. This is what I want you to know. The one-time encounters and long-term commitments have the same chemical reaction, no matter what it is. We're wired that way, we're made that way. And the last major chemical that's produced is called norepinephrine, and norepinephrine is what creates alertness in us and what happens is um, norepinephrine is what crystallizes these emotional memories in our minds. And it makes these encounters and experience difficult to forget. This is one of the reasons why if you talk to somebody who's been addicted to pornography or somebody who's had a lot of uh, sexual partners, they will say things like, man, I know God's forgiven me, but it's so hard to forget some of the things I've seen. And you might even hear somebody say, it feels like it's burned in my brain. It's because it is. That is the way God wired us. All these, all these chemicals, I want you to know something. They're value neutral. They're not good. They're not bad. They're good in the right context. They're bad in the wrong context. But this is what I want you to know. The chemical reactions don't know if this is your spouse or not. They just know this is good and I like it. I want more of this. So what we have to understand is context matters. In, in a marriage, these hormones are extremely motivating and helpful. In marriage, these hormones are the ones that help us stay married. Let's be honest. If you're married, you understand this. Does anybody agree with me that marriage is hard sometimes? Thank you, like four honest people. Do you know who thinks that marriage isn't hard? Engaged people. <laughs> they think marriage is easy. So just wait, bucko. It gets harder, okay? Marriage is difficult. My wife is fantastic. She loves me and supports me. Can you believe that? And we're still married, and, but it, marriage is hard. And there are days when, when I've worked hard and I come home and her life is hectic and crazy and things are going on and she's trying to cook dinner and we've got girls that have homework and classes and they've got you know, events, and we're trying to run kids around, and somebody inevitably gets sick, and the dog pooped in the rug, and there's all these things happening, right? That's real life. I know the media would have us believe that we walk, get in, and the dinner's already ready. Some Miraculously, somebody's made dinner, and we sit down at the table together, and we talk, how was your day, kids? It was good, Father. How was your day? Fantastic. Thank you. 
But what I described is real life, isn't it? And I think God knew there would be days that we would be married and we would go, I don't feel like being married today. Like, I don't feel like being a good husband. I want to be selfish. Does anybody know what I'm talking about at all? And this is what God does. He gives us this override system, this chemical override system in us, that when we've bonded with our spouse, there are, there's something deep within us that's hardwired in us that says, I don't feel like it, but you know what? I'm committed to you. And it's not just something I said in front of a bunch of people at a church one time. I'm committed because it's something I feel in me. There, there literally has been a chemical burn in me that says to me, no, you protect these people. These are your people. And that's the beauty of what God has done. He loves us so much that he has wired us this way. This is also the, the heartbreak of what's happened as well because when we have multiple partners, we know this. As we bond and break and bond and break and bond and break and bond and break, what happens is scientifically, again, this is not hypothetical, scientifically what we see is it's harder for people to bond when they've bond and broken so many times. And this is whether they have been actual interactions, physical interactions, or virtual interactions. So the impact is the same whether you just look at porn or whether you have had lots of partners. The, the impact is just the same. And the thing that's so insidious about what Satan has done is he's taken something that God intended to help us create good marriages, to create intimacy in marriage, and it's actually breaking down intimacy in marriage. Because what happens is it's hard for us to bond with people when we've bonded over and over and over again. I want to show you something. Um, this is not an actual human heart. This is just a construction paper representation. I did cut this out in my office. I felt like a kindergartner <laughs> cutting this out with my, anyway. So what this represents is just visual representation. This represents my soul. This represents my heart, the core of who I am. And this is what happens. Um, and this is not my actual story, but, but I just want to help you understand. This is what happens. Uh, what we know is the average age for someone's first uh, first experience with pornography is about 11 years old today. 11. So thank you, smartphones. 11 years old, somebody sees pornography for the first time. Let's say I'm not a normal kid. I don't see pornography till I'm 13. When I'm 13, I discover pornography on accident on my phone. And when I see it, um, all the chemicals in my body go crazy because I'm seeing something I've never seen before. And, and as a result, I look at it and I know it's wrong and I'm not supposed to, so I hide it, I don't tell anybody. And what's hidden um, in secret, it isolates and I become isolated. And I continue to look and look and look and nobody will ever know because my parents trust me, I'm a good kid, I go to church. And, and I keep looking and maybe they'll never know, but what happens in that process is I bond with those images. My heart is connected chemically because that's what we do. And then one day I realize, you know what, this is wrong. This isn't godly. This isn't right. I can't do this anymore. And praise God, I, I get some help. I get some counseling. I talk to my youth pastor, whatever it might be, and, and God breaks that bond. But part of me is imprinted on those images, and part of those images are imprinted on me. So now 
man, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get into high school and I meet a girl my sophomore year and I think we're smart. She's cute. She goes to church. She's got to be the one. Surely this is the one. I'm very mature. I'm 14. I start dating a girl. She's cute. She goes to church. What more are you looking for? And the more we date, the more we get ourselves in positions where we shouldn't be, the, the, the more intimate physically we become where one day we take that next step and we're bonded. And we continue to date for a little while, but then we're convicted, we feel bad, we know it's not right, and we break up. So what happens? Our bond is broken. I'm imprinted on her, she's imprinted on me. This is what we know about souls mingling. We're bonded. Senior year of high school, again, statistically, teenagers have more than two partners in high school on average. So I'm just an average kid. Senior year of high school, meet a girl. She's beautiful. She's funny. And I know better we're not going to make the same mistake I made before, but what happens? We end up in a place we shouldn't be. And before you know it, we bond. We break up. And now my soul's imprinted on hers. Her soul's imprinted on mine. I go to college. I'm going to do it right. Does this sound familiar to anybody ever? And I get to college, I'm walking across campus, and it's like time slows down. And I look across, and I see the young lady as she flips her hair over her shoulder. <laughs> she turns and makes eye contact with me, and I know in that moment, she is the one, right? I've never seen anybody as beautiful as that. She is the one. We love Jesus. So we're not going to make the same mistakes that I've made in the past, and we're going to do it right. But come on, the world we live in today says it's no big deal. If you love each other, you do it. And so what happens, we start dating, and I think this is the one we're going to get married. We do care about each other very much. We care about each other so much, we end up having sex together, and our hearts are bonded chemically, physically, to become one. And then we break up because she says, Maybe she's not as in love with me as she thought she was. So now what do I have? We got a piece of who I was. What happens is, after college, I move on, pursue what God's called me to do, whatever that might be, and I meet a, a girl in a church. Man, she's fantastic. She's wonderful. She's godly. She loves Jesus. And, and we start the dating process because I think it's got to be right, but we're going to have some strong boundaries. And because we have strong boundaries uh, and we don't have the sex as a catalyst in our intimacy, we're going to try to do things the right way. There never seems to be any magic. I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. I, I never feel like we can be connected, I don't know, and for some reason it just doesn't feel like we can ever bond properly. And part of the reason is, is because I've bonded with people over and over and over and over and over and over again. And now when it's time to bond with the person that God has for me, the person that I should be bonded with, I can't, I lack the ability because I've stuck to too many people. As a result, my stickiness is gone. We see the story played out over and over and over again. There are marriages of people in this room that are hurting today because there's a lack of intimacy, because there's no bond. 
because we've given up our stickiness, what happens is uh, we get into a relationship, and the next thing, a shiny ob- time, a shiny object comes our way. Something, somebody that's a little more exciting, a little more beautiful, a little more handsome comes our way. We run for it because we are chasing that high. We are chasing that feeling, and we think that's what relationships are about. The way we're wired is discover intimacy with someone outside of sex first. Intellectual, relational, emotional, spiritual intimacy. And what Scripture always intended, what God always intended, was for us to experience the, the, the culmination of intimacy is sexual. But that's a result of all the other intimacies. In the world we live in today, we think intimacy begins with sex. Talked to some people not long ago who told me what's expected of people on first dates today. Shocking. Not to be, I'm telling you stuff I didn't tell the other services, by the way. It's not unnatural or uncommon for girls to feel like it's okay to have oral sex on the first date with somebody. That's crazy to me. Because what's happening? We're bonding. We're, We're connecting. And we're breaking that connection. And we're ruining ourselves for the people that God ultimately wants us to be connected to and bonded with. So the thing that God intended to bond us with our spouse is ultimately used by the enemy to to break us apart from our spouse. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. In the Passion Translation, it says this, Have you forgotten that your body is now the sacred temple of the uh, the spirit of holiness who lives within you? You don't belong to yourself any longer. For the gift of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside your sanctuary. You were God's expensive purchase, paid for with tears of blood. So by all means then, listen to this, use your body to bring glory to God. We are good at using our bodies for all kinds of other purposes. To bring myself pleasure, to bring myself happiness. But what Paul says is, hey, use your bodies to bring glory to God. And again, that's one of the reasons why I decided I need to lose weight. Because I felt like my body can't bring glory to God. Because every time I pull into McDonald's parking lot, I'm shaving a year off my life right? Every time I'm eating junk, I'm, I'm shortening my life expectancy. <laughs> um, the, I don't know if I should say this or not. That always makes me a little nervous, but I'm going to say it anyway. The church, um, they actually took out a life insurance policy on me because our, we, have a, we have this big building and we have debt that we need to pay off. And if, some, if I died in a plane crash, it could hurt our church. So they took a, a life insurance policy out on me. So if I ever turn up dead, start with the elders, okay? <laughs> they did it. Um, but this is, what, this is what I want you to understand. It is cheaper to insure me now than it was at my heaviest. Do you know why? Because they expect me to live longer. They expect me to be healthier. So... If I live a lifestyle where I'm 308 pounds and I just go, I'm going to pound burgers and eat whatever I want, I have to understand I'm not bringing glory to God with my body because I'm shortening my life. And when it comes to sex, I want you to know something. So many of us sexually live our lives for ourselves. I want to make myself happy. I want to, want to bring myself pleasure. And, and, and what you have to ask yourself is, does my body bring glory to God? And I'm not talking about the way you look. I'm talking about how you use your body. Does it bring glory to God? So 
one of the questions was, is it okay to live someone if, that I'm not married to? And if you don't know the answer to that, so far from this message, let me just say it this way. God cannot bless something that he forbids. God cannot bless something he forbids. In Hebrews, it says this, chapter 13, verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God can't bless something that he forbids. And, and I wanna say this as lovingly as possible. There are lots of reasons that I've heard. Uh, there is no reason that supersedes the word of God. So if you wanna talk about that, I would love to have a conversation with you about that. We don't have time to get into all the ramifications of that. I've heard people say, Mel, but if we don't live together, if we don't have sex before we're married, how, how will we know if we're sexually compatible? And at the risk of sounding crude, I wanna point out, if there's a man and a woman involved, you're compatible. <laughs> I'm no expert. I have a general understanding how things work. I think you'll be okay. Because this is what I know, it has less to do with our technique and more to do with relational, spiritual, emotional intimacy like we talked about earlier. If, if I am emotionally and spiritually and, and relationally intimate with my fiance, then we're probably gonna be okay sexually after we're married. Because there's a big safety net there. How do we know it's gonna work out? You don't. Every relationship is risky, period. Any relationship you get into could hurt you. But how do we know a marriage is gonna work out? You don't, uh, because they're human beings. But this is what I know. If two people love Jesus and he's the center of their life and they say, we're gonna get into this marriage, um, what they're doing in front of, in a church in front of all their friends and family is they're not making a contract, they're making a covenant. They're not saying, I promise to be really good to you as long as you have dinner on the table by five o'clock. I promise to treat you well, and if you don't treat me well, then I might not treat you well. I promise to be true to you unless you're untrue to me, and then all bets are off. That's not what you say, is it? See, we make a promise. We make a covenant with our spouse before God and with before people, and that covenant says, no matter what you do, I'm gonna be faithful to you. No matter how you act, no matter where you go, I'm gonna be faithful to you. I'm here for you. And this is a giant safety net under marriage. Because what's happened is we've gotten into this pattern in our lives where we bond and break and bond and break and bond and break and bond and break and then we come to marriage and we expect it to be different, but it's not different because there's no bond. Or when we do bond, it's real loose and then we see something shiny, we go, no, I'm going for something else. It's better and brighter and that will bring me happiness and fulfillment. But when we make Jesus the center of our lives and we say, no matter what you do, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna choose to love you actively. That's a safety net under our marriages. That's a safety net for your kids, by the way, to know that you're committed to each other and you love each other more than anything. That's one of the reasons why I tell my girls regularly, I love you, but I don't love you nearly as much as I love your mom. <laughs> Some of you think that's mean. But you know what? I, I truly believe that breeds security in my girls because they know no matter what happens, mom and dad are for, together forever. That gives them a sense of security. So this is what God intended for us. 
He intended for us to bond with someone, one someone for life. And what we're doing is ultimately sinful, but it's hurtful in this life, this world. It's causing us not to be able to live the best life that God created for us. There's a passage in John chapter four, and in John chapter eight, I'm sorry, I'll finish with this. From the Passion Translation, Jesus had been teaching, and in verse four, it says, then they said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Did you catch that? They caught her in the very act of adultery, in the middle of adultery. I don't know how you do that exactly, but they probably weren't being the most uh, godly men if they could catch her in the act of adultery. Verse five says, doesn't Moses' law command us to stone this woman to death? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the law of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. I love this. Jesus is hardcore. Jesus doesn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over and again wrote some more words in the dust. You know what? We don't know what Jesus wrote in the dust. There's some speculation. I think my favorite idea of what he wrote in the dust was he began to write the names of all the women that these men had had affairs with or slept with or cheated with or had sinful desires about. He just began writing their names in the dust. I, I love the idea of this. Is these men are standing there with vengeance in their heart. They, they're, they're speaking truth, but there's no love. They're ready to kill this woman for what she's done because she's broken the law. And then they begin reading what he's writing, and they realize, oh, my gosh. Oh, no. I thought, it was, see, I thought nobody would know. He begins calling them out. Verse 9 says, upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with a woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are those, or where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. What I would tell you today is this if you're here today and you're entangled in sexual sin, it doesn't mean you're evil, it doesn't mean you're horrible. But what it means is you need some help, and God wants to help you. God's not here to condemn you. He's here to loose you, to free you. I, I love what he said here, because he didn't just say, um, hey, don't worry, girl, it's okay. So what did he do? He encouraged her. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. And then he doesn't just say, have a great day, but he says, go and live a lifestyle, a life that's free from sin. He, in other interpretations, he says, go and sin no more. What he's saying is the sin that entangled you before, I'm loosing you from it. I'm freeing you from it, so don't ever go back to it, is what he's saying. And I believe God's here today. I believe Jesus that set her free is the same Jesus that could set you free today. I think he's here today saying, hey, there's no condemnation. There's no one here to condemn you. I love you. And I want you to be free from the power of sin in your life. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. What it means, though, is you won't be enslaved to sin like you used to be. I believe that, just like we said earlier, those images can be seared in your brain. Those experiences, those emotional moments can be seared in your brain. I believe the Holy Spirit can wipe your hard drive clean in your brain. 
Even though science says, no, it's there, you're going to be left with the, I believe that God can wipe that out of your memory today. Some of you are here, and you feel like, because I've made such stupid decisions, I can never have a good marriage. I might never be able to get pregnant. I don't know if my wife can ever have kids because I'm being punished for my stupid decisions when I was in college or whenever, you know, before we got married or maybe even after you got married. And I believe God can restore that. I believe God can help you have the marriage you dreamed of because God's a good God. He's a God that restores. He's a God that redeems. If you're here today and you're struggling with any kind of sexual sin, any kind of sexual morality, I want you to know something. We're not here to tell you you're a horrible sinner. We're here to tell you there's a better way and we want to help you. We've got resources available for you. We would love to talk to you. We would love to help you out of the place you're in. So know that's what we're here to do. One of the best things you can do is sign up for a freedom group. Um, We've got a couple that are going right now, but we'll have, I think, one this summer. We'll have a couple in the fall as well. I would love for you to get connected with that. We've got counselors that we can refer you to and connect you with. Um, We've got resources that we can give you uh, to help you walk through this and get healthy because that's what God wants. That's what we want. And ultimately, I know that's what you want as well. So let's pray. God, I love you, and I'm so grateful that when we've messed up, when we've gone off track, when we have lived a life that's contrary to your word, I thank you that you still love us. So God, I pray today for those that are here that feel condemned, those that are here today, that they feel overwhelmed by their habits, by their addictions, by their sin. God, I pray today that you would help them see there's no one here to condemn them. And I pray that they would hear your heart that says, go and live a life free of sin. And that's possible in you. So God, I pray that we would not be satisfied in the same rut, in the same routine, in the same junk we've been involved with. God, help us, Lord, not try to find our fulfillment in another website, in another image, in another relationship, but God, help us to find our fulfillment first and foremost by drinking from the water, from the well that will cause us to never thirst again, by by satisfying our deepest need, our deepest longing is to find intimacy with you. And God, I pray as we do that, God, we will find intimacy with others. We will find closeness. God, the bond, the stickiness that has been lost because of our own mistakes and our own stupidity and our own selfishness, God, I pray that you would restore that which the devil has stolen. God, I pray for the hopes of parents in this or people in this room that want to be parents, but they think because of the, the, the sexual sins that they've done, they might never be able to be parents. God, I pray that you'd restore their hope. God, restore their confidence. Help them see you're a good God. Lord, for those that are here that are struggling in a difficult marriage, Lord, help them see that you are a good God and you want to restore marriages. You want to restore intimacy. So God, I pray Pray for, for that which the enemy has stolen. God, restore it tenfold. So God, have your way among us. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Mel, I'm not walking with God, but I know I need to be. I need to surrender my life to Christ. I don't want to make him Lord of my life. Whether you struggle with sexual sin or not, but you're here and you recognize, I want to make Jesus Lord. I want to know him intimately. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. If that's you, would you raise your hand real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks over here on my left. I see you, ma'am. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Yeah, I see you up at the balcony. Awesome. Awesome. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel? Yeah, over here on my right. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. 
Yeah, I see you, sir. Praise God. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. You say, I want to join these. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Is there anyone here? Maybe you say, you know what, Mel, I think I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm a Christian, but the truth is I'm dealing with this entangling sin you're talking about. I'm dealing with some sexual sin that I need God to free me from, and I can't do it on my own. I realize it today. I realize it's not healthy. It's not good. And I need God to help me with it with nobody looking around. Would you be bold enough to raise your hand up real high where I can pray for you? Say, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of you. A lot of you. Thank you, Lord. grateful for your heart for us. That your heart breaks over us, your children. God, you're not angry at us. God, you love us. God, I pray today for those who raise their hand and said they're tangled in sin. Lord, I pray today you'd free them from that. Lord, let today be the day that's a watershed moment that from now on they're going to know what freedom looks like. That, God, they're, they're not going to be dominated by any sin. They're not going to be dominated by any action, by any behavior, by any ad- addiction. God, I pray that today would be the day, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we lay those relationships down. God, I pray right now for every person that raised their hand and said, that's me. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower them in ways that they never imagined. Lord, I pray for strength in them in ways that they never imagined. God, I pray that as as they begin to talk about this with people they trust spiritually, God, you will help them expose this so that this doesn't isolate them from godly community and people that love them and wanna help them. So God, I pray that you give them boldness to trust some folks with this. And I pray as they do, Lord, you're gonna illuminate it and shine a light on it. It's gonna lose its power in their lives. So God, I pray for those that are hurting right now God, restore them. Bless them. Have mercy on them. Minister in them. Help them walk out of here with their head held high, knowing they're free. So God, minister in them today. I'd like every person in this place to pray this prayer with me. If you would, say this out loud. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Today, I give you my life I give you my heart, and I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. Help me live a life that brings you glory, and help me live a life that's free of sexual immorality. Help me live my life in a way that points people back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause today? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know Scripture tells us you're a new creation today. The old is gone and the new has come. And I believe I believe freedom has come to this house today. And some of you are here and you feel bound up, but I'm telling you, 
walk in the freedom that God has given you today. Uh, make the choices you need to make. Have some hard conversations, but we want to help you. But if you pray that prayer for salvation today, I want you to know you're a new creation. We want to help you take the next step. The simplest thing for you to do is to fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says salvation. Um, and fill that out for us and then take it over to the info center when we finish. They're going to give you a free Bible and we're going to help you take the next step. If you're here today and you're bold enough to do this and you say, I need help with some of the, the junk in my life that I'm dealing with that we prayed for today. If you're bold enough to fill that card out, you can take it to the info center or drop it in one of our offering boxes. That'll come to me or one of our staff and we will help you. We're going to help you take the next step because freedom is possible. You don't have to live with what you've lived with your whole life. So we wanna help you. If you're watching online and you wanna respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. We're gonna respond back to you and help you take the next step. Um, just so you know, I didn't cry like this in the other services. I just love you guys more, I guess. So I want you to know my heart. Um, there is no condemnation. There's lots of grace. There's gonna be lots of truth, but we wanna help you through it. So if you're struggling today, let us know. We're here for you. We love you. We're for you. So here's what's going to happen. The worship team's going to lead us in one more song. When we're done, uh, Pastor Todd will come and he'll close us out. But while we're singing, our prayer team's going to come up. They'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, I want to encourage you, um, step out from your seat and find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you in prayer before you go today. Uh, it will make a difference. It will help. I promise you. The Word of God tells us where two or three are gathered together. And it's not about church attendance, but it's about two or three people agreeing about any one thing. And there's something powerful about agreeing with somebody about your prayer needs. So I want to encourage you, find one of our prayer team members and let them pray with you. And then in just a moment, Pastor Todd will close this out and we'll be out of here. But do me a favor, please don't leave unless you have an emergency. Let's worship together and let's hold the Holy Spirit kind of finish what I feel like he started in this place. So stay in your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you guys more than you know and I'm so glad. so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend.